0: just want to start by uh, just saying one phrase. We're in the fourth quarter. Um, If you don't know what that means, it's a football term. Uh, There's four quarters in a football game, and the fourth quarter uh, is always the most exciting in a game. Uh, uh, I'm one of those weird birds. I don't really care for college football that much, but I really love the NFL. Uh, And if you... The the great thing about the NFL is, like, you can miss the whole game and then watch the fourth quarter, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I always wonder why in the world they don't play the whole game, uh, the first three quarters, like they play in the fourth quarter, where they drive down and score a touchdown in 45 seconds. I just don't get it. Um, and uh, so as I, as I just think, I was listening to a podcast a while back, and it, it was entitled, uh, or one of the phrases in the podcast was, Uh, We're in the fourth quarter, and the guy was talking about uh, the urgency and the desperation that uh, pandemic and everything else has created in our world, uh, that we're in the fourth quarter, and it should be filled with this sense of urgency. And uh, one thing that's been ringing in my mind and in my heart a lot lately, uh, just for me personally, and my prayer for the church a- as a whole, is: Are we desperate? Uh, do we sense the urgency of the fourth quarter, and does it lead us? Has it led us to a place where we're desperate, and we go to prayer? And uh, and one of the struggles with this is we have this phrase in the PCA, and I can rag on my own denomination because I'm part of that denomination. We have this phrase that we've used for, you know, since the days of John Calvin, I believe. It's called the means of grace. And uh, we oftentimes use those phrases, and they stay kind of at this lofty theological level. You kind of go, what in the world does it mean, the means of grace? And so I was talking with Jimmy, and Jimmy said, hey, we're, I think I'm going to do a series on the means of grace. And I said, <clears throat> "I said, hey, can I, uh, can I just talk about uh, the means of grace in the life of Jesus and set it up for you as we get to the, the four means of grace, the five means of grace that you're going to explore. And so Jimmy was gracious enough to, to give me that uh, license. Uh, and so today we're going we're to we're talk about this means of grace of prayer and the life of Jesus. And as I think about prayer, uh, one thing I just want to ask you as Nathan led us in the confession this morning, um, how did that go for you? As we sat in silence for two minutes, what was it like we're supposed to be engaged in prayer and talking to the Lord? Now here's the, here's the really, I hope you're engaged with me this morning because I think this is really freeing. Uh, because oftentimes what happens in our life is that we, uh, we hear public prayers. We hear pastors pray. We hear elders pray. We hear leaders pray. We go to small groups and we hear someone pray out. We're hearing all these out loud prayers. And here's what's interesting about it, is that I think what happens is all our outside out loud prayers are way more polished than our private, personal, quiet prayers. We see Jesus has done this thing called a prayer seminar, all over the globe. Thousands of times. And what they do is they begin. We begin the prayer seminar by saying, "Hey, just spend some time in silence and prayer, in personal prayer." And at the end of that, thousands of times without exception, when we ask people how that went for you, guess what the response is? The response is not, oh, it was this worshipful moment where I engaged with the, I was in the throne room of heaven with God. No, you know what, the the overwhelming majority of the time, every time really, is, man, I got distracted. My mind couldn't focus. I was thinking about what was for lunch. I was thinking about what else I'd be doing. I fell asleep. My ADHD was on high alert. I was jumping from one thing to another. Another thing went into my mind, and then I'd go to that. Like, here's what's crazy about this, is that I think what happens in our life is we have a a model for prayer oftentimes in in a public out loud setting. And then when we get in the quiet in the in the in our in the quietness of our heart and our personal prayer, it's just a train wreck. And we all all of us in this room get discouraged. All of you online who are watching this, it's it's a common struggle for the follower of Jesus private prayer. But we don't often talk about the struggle of private prayer because oftentimes what happens internally, we see public prayer modeled for us, and we think, that's what my prayer life should look like, and it never looks like that. If it does, it's a rare occasion, and then we get discouraged, and we just give up on prayer. So this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like to look at the person of Jesus in his prayer life. How is, how is prayer difficult personally for you? Just answer that in your own, in your own heart. Because when you think about the prayer life of Jesus, just, let me give you just a quick survey of the life of Jesus for a moment, because uh, really there's, a, there's an interesting thing as we start to track this through, that the gospel writers, we know from Scripture that Jesus attended synagogue worship regularly, We know there was prayer involved in that, but we actually, because of AD 70 and the destruction of Jerusalem, we don't have a lot of records that survived of what his public prayer life might have been like. We don't even really know a lot of what it looked like in the early church, but the gospel writers, however, zoom in on the personal prayer life of Jesus. So again, if we're looking at the fullness of humanity in the person of Jesus and how life is supposed to be done, then perhaps we look at his life of prayer and we learn from it. The facts are really hard to dispute. Dan Spader says the scriptures record 33 different instances in which Jesus takes time to pray. Those are just the one the gospel writers mention. So let me give you just a survey of that. We don't really know what that looked like in the first 30 years of Jesus' life. But we know that Jesus was praying at his baptism. He was praying in his 40 days of wilderness. He prayed before he went into Galilee. He prayed after he healed people. He prayed before choosing the 12. He prayed when he was with Jewish leaders. He prayed before feeding the 5,000. He prayed... While he, was, uh, while he was giving, uh, after he fed the 5,000. He prayed while he was healing people. He prayed after the feeding of the 4,000. He prayed at his transfiguration. He prayed when the 70 returned. He prayed the Lord's Prayer. Taught his disciples how to pray. Which is interesting. Why did the disciples ask Jesus how to pray? It's not like the disciples had never prayed before. You ever thought about that? There was something really unique about the prayer life of Jesus that they were witnessing in him. Jesus uh, prays at the raising of Lazarus. He prays when when he's blessing the children, when he's asking the Father for guidance at the Lord's Supper. He prays for his friend Peter. He prays for all his disciples, including, including us. He prays for himself. He prays for his Father's will. He prays when he's been nailed to the cross. He prays when he's dying on the cross. And his last prayer, his last breath was a prayer. He prays at his resurrection and he prays at his final blessing before his ascension. You get the point? I know I'm kind of belaboring it, but the life of Jesus was filled with prayer. Why is that? You know, the spirit of our age is, a, is, is really a spirit of uh, a current of autonomy, right? That what's the message we hear? That you do life on your own. It fascinates me that, that Jesus really, if you wanted to create a theme verse for the life of the person of Jesus, it would be John 5, 19, I do nothing on my own. That means that every step of Jesus' life was bathed in prayer. Everything he did, he went to his father first. Prayer was his lifeline of dependence in his life. So what does it look like to do nothing on his own? Why is it surprising that Jesus prays? I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about who you know Jesus is. Why does Jesus even pray? I mean, he's fully God and fully man. Why does he need to pray? Like, didn't he know everything that was going to go on? Didn't he have this kind of window into everything? Why is it that Jesus prays? It's a a fun thing to think about and fun questions to ask. Why does it surprise us? I love to be able to ask those freeing questions, uh, really, because part of that is that, that Luke says, uh, in Luke 5, he says, Yet the news about him spread all over, all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed in their sicknesses. So he's overwhelmed this, this gospel spreading, this news about him was spreading, and then Jesus says, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. So let's, let's take a few minutes and just zoom in on the gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And read this story about Jesus in Capernaum. He said, Capernaum is a city on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And look what it says in in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. It says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother in law. "...lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons." preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. Lord Jesus, as we uh, look into a life of prayer just for a few more minutes, uh, will you give us grace? Lord, we are, we are weak people. Our minds just are filled with distractions. Our lives are busy. I'll just, uh, Lord, will you give us a sense of the fourth quarter, the urgency? in the times that we live. Help us to draw near to you in this moment and learn from Jesus once again. We pray in his name, amen. So like Luke, uh, Mark says, Jesus' popularity is swelling. Jesus is casting out demons, doing all these amazing things, and all these people are longing to be with him. They want him to perform miracles. They want to hear his teaching that has this authority. They want to hear all these things. Could you imagine what the pressure must have felt like when the crowd was constantly seeking him out? Just imagine being there with Jesus and and just feeling the pressure as as the popularity grows and people long to be with him. And he arrives, he's gone, he's gone into the synagogue in Capernaum. He's, he's cast out this demon, this man with this unclean spirit. He's been in the synagogue all day long. He's been teaching and preaching. And then he shows up at his friend Peter's house. And it's like, oh man, we're ready for some rest and relaxation. And Peter goes, um, hey Jesus, my mom is sick. My mother-in-law is sick. Can you heal her? And Jesus, what's his response? He, his response is, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and, and the fever left her. He heals her. And look at what happens next. Um, what time of day is it? It's in, the, it's in the evening, and Jesus has been in the synagogue. Now he's come home to Peter's house. He's done another miracle, and now evening comes. What happens in the evening? Like, everybody, it says the whole city... I don't know if that's literal or not. Gathers at his door. So you have all these people bringing all these sick people to the door of Peter's house. And they're all lining up to be healed. (laughs) Could you imagine? Like, what are you thinking at this moment? If you're Jesus. If I'm in Jesus' place, it's been a long day. Like, I'm pretty exhausted. But Jesus... Once again, his reaction is he heals them. He shows love to them. He casts out demons. He doesn't allow the demons to speak. He loves again. What does this tell us about the kind of person that Jesus is? He's been going all day long, he's hardworking. He's constantly thinking about others. He's gentle and yet he's really powerful. What is what's the one thing that might be on your mind at the end of a long day and night? Because Jesus has probably been up since six AM when the Jewish day begins. And now it's likely midnight. He's exhausted. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm looking to like go and uh, and veg out. I'm ready for bed. I'm ready for a nap. Let's put on some Amazon Prime movies. Let's uh, let's watch Netflix. Let's do whatever. Like I need to just chill. I need to just flip through Instagram for a while and let my mind go numb. but notice what Jesus does in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Imagine if you're Peter, right? We we believe that Mark's Gospel, John Mark wrote Mark's Gospel, and it's from Peter's accounts telling Mark what had happened. Imagine you're Peter sitting, right? You're having, uh, just imagine you're having a sleepover with Jesus at Peter's house. You've been up all night. There's been people knocking on the door. You've been healing people all night long. It's late into the night. And then you finally get to crash, and you're laying on the floor. Uh, you've had this sleepover, and then Peter all of a sudden hears this wrestling going on. And one scholar says uh, that this was likely between 3 and 6 a.m. that Jesus gets up. Could you imagine if you're Peter and you're like, you like rub your eyes? You're like, man, who is making a, who is getting up? Are they insane? Like, what in the world is going on? And you imagine him seeing Jesus getting up. Probably Jesus probably made his bed up, whatever. I don't, we don't know. You know? <laughs> Folding his blankets. And then Peter like watches him leave. And he's thinking, what in the world is Jesus doing? Like we've been, we've been busy. We have no place to lay our head. We haven't even had time to eat, Jesus will tell them later. But Jesus gets up while it's still dark and goes out to pray to his father. What what is going on here? What does this tell us about what it means to be human? What, What does it tell us about the person of Jesus? It tells us that he's the most dependent person that has ever lived. It tells us that that phrase of John 5, 19, that Jesus literally does nothing on his own. Our lives are lived, for the most part, doing life on our own. It's the American way. It's part of the current we swim in every day. Paul Miller writes this in A Praying Life. He says, imagine asking Jesus how he's doing. He'd say, my father and I are doing great. He's given me everything I need today. And you respond, wait a second, Jesus. I'm glad you and your father are doing well, but let's just focus on you for a minute. And Jesus, tell me how you are doing. And Jesus would look at you strangely. As if you were speaking a foreign language, the question doesn't make sense to him. He simply can't answer the question, how are you doing, without including his heavenly father. He does nothing on his own. He can't do life on his own. So what does Jesus do? He prays. He can't do life on his own, so he prays. He wants us to realize that that like him, we don't have the resources to do life on our own. And could it be that this glorious thing that we all hate, called the pandemic, called COVID-19. Could it be that Jesus is saying, you can't do anything on your own? Is he stripping us of all our autonomy, all our independence, and saying, I couldn't do it on my own? See, this just, I mean, for me, guys, this just blows all of my conceptions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and who Jesus is out of the water. Because forever, Jesus was just, and I've shared this with you guys before, he's just this superhero that just floats above life, and life was really easy for him because he was God. But Jesus didn't do life alone, ever. He did nothing on his own. He did all of life through prayer. He was in constant communion with his father. And I I think that the interesting idea is when I've asked this question in the past doing seminars and have this open dialogue, that why did Jesus pray? And you know what the number one answer across the American church is? Because he was giving us an example. I believe that that's half the truth. Because when he gives the Lord's Prayer, he says, I've given, I'm i giving you an example. But you know what the other big half of that is? Is that Jesus couldn't do life without his Father. Jesus couldn't do life without prayer. It's who he is. It's not, Jesus is, in my opinion, is very rarely doing the things he's doing in the Gospels to set us an example. He only tells us that a few times when he's washing feet in, in prayer. But it's not that he's just doing it for example's sake. It's who he is at his core. If we go a little bit deeper with this, Jesus defines himself only in relationship with his heavenly father. See, you and I kind of have this, since the fall and Adam and Eve, they kind of had this sense of like this separate self that never existed prior to the fall. Adam and Eve didn't live as separate self prior to the fall. There was no concept of separate. There was no concept of myself. And Jesus comes as the second Adam and says, there is no separate sense of self. Let me show you an example, but also let me live as, a, as one who lives in relationship with the Father all the time. It's only after Adam and Eve had acted independently of God that they have a sense of separate self but because jesus has no separate sense of self he has no identity crisis he has no angst there's no struggle within him to find himself because himself is always defined in relationship with his father All right it's kind of like kind of like my kids if they're going to define themselves they define themselves as being part of the roe family All right there's not like this separate I don't think any of them are like trying to separate from our family and have their own name and change their name. But they have this. there's this identity with who they belong to. And Jesus' identity, for eternity, he's belonged to his father. And so when he comes and he lives as the second Adam, he's saying, this is what it means to have true life. This is what it means to have true identity. It means for me to live in dependence in this constant relationship with my father. So what I do, I constantly talk to my father. He's not merely a power of miracles, a worker of miracles, but this is what Alfred Edersheim says. He, He was not merely a miracle, a worker of miracles, but that he whose word demons obeyed lived a life not of outward, but of inward power, in fellowship with his Father, and baptized his work with prayer. So one last thing I want you to notice what Jesus does is it says in this gospel, in this story of Luke, it says that Jesus went out to a desolate place. What happens when you go to a solitary or desolate place? Anybody watch the show Alone? On, I think it's on Prime. It's a fascinating show. Psychologically, it's, it's really cool to watch because you actually get a window and it gives you a little bit of a glimpse of what it might have been like for Jesus in the 40 days alone in the wilderness. Because just like, the, like what happens with all these guys uh, in this show alone is the one thing that really gets them is usually not the environmental struggle. It's usually not like going without food, but it's this inner, these inner voices that just being alone in a desolate place start plaguing them and they have to start working through all the mental anguish of what's going on in their mind. There's so much noise in their conscience that they can't get to the underneath and it sometimes it takes them a long time to get there. It's kind of like, I love to go fishing. And uh, it's kind of like if you have somebody on your boat. I have a little John boat that's aluminum John boat. And if you go out on the river gorge and you're fishing, uh, it's really okay to talk. And when you're fishing, like fish can't really hear your voices when you're talking. Uh, But if you start doing this, like on the bottom of the boat, like not good for fishing. If you're dropping stuff on aluminum boat, like the fish aren't going to rise to the top. And I kind of think that that's the way we live our lives, oftentimes is because when we, we don't go to desolate places because of busyness, hurry, distraction, and the noise level never quiets down long enough for us, for things to come to the surface. It's it's this culture of noise that we create and that we live in. And here's what's interesting about it. It's this busyness and this hurriness and this distraction that are part of our culture that don't cultivate us to find the desolate place where the noise can quiet down long enough. I don't know about you guys, but when uh, in those rare attempts... Uh, to find a quiet place, and you just sit, and you're in solitude. I don't know if you spent time alone in the woods or just on your own deck or whatever, but, goodness, it takes a good 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 minutes (laughs) for things to just, okay, I can hear now. I can talk to you now. I still have ADD prayers that are all over the place. Here's what's fascinating to me in this text is that Jesus is living in a culture that's just like ours. Okay, no, Jesus didn't add the distractions of technology and cell phones and all that, but Jesus, we've just surveyed, Jesus is a really, really busy man. Perhaps the busiest that's ever lived. I mean, he's got all these things that we've talked about going on in his world, and yet, in the midst of that busyness, in the midst of the swirling culture of busyness, of hurry, of distraction, what does Jesus do? He reminds himself I, I don't do life on my own, I have to talk to my Father. And he goes and he finds a desolate place. He gets up in the middle of the night in the darkness and he goes and finds a quiet place to talk to his father. Prayer was a primary way that Jesus pushed back the cultural forces at work in his life. And his friends went to find him and they said, Everybody's looking for you. What did they want Jesus, what Jesus to do? They wanted him to come back and continue the healing that he was doing, but Jesus wanted to go and spend time with his father. He was likely praying about the very next thing that he does, which says, actually, I'm not going back to that town. We're moving on to the region of Galilee. I've come to go and preach the gospel in all these towns, and it was time for him to move on. So how do we know these next moves in our lives when it comes in the fourth quarter? How does the quarterback know what the next play call is? Because he's listening for the coach and he's got wisdom from all those years of experience to know what plays to call in the fourth quarter. Are we living with that sense of urgency that this is the fourth quarter? And the only way possible for us to live life in this fourth quarter is to listen to the Father, is to spend time with him. You're not busier than Jesus was. It's just an issue of our hearts longing to do self and asking God, Jesus, help me to live life like you and not do anything on my own. We need God's grace to give us the ability to do that. Because all of my self-ambition is to live life on my own and not for him. So I encourage you to hear this quote again a different quote by Paul Miller in A Praying Life. He says, you don't create intimacy. You don't create intimacy. You make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, or God. You need space to be together. Paul goes on to say, efficiency, multitasking, and busyness, all of them kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. If Jesus has to pull away from people and noise in order to pray, it makes sense that we do as well. So may God give us grace as we live as followers of Jesus to do life through prayer. And maybe that's your theme for this 2021, doing life through prayer. May God give us grace to do that. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the ways in which you care for your people. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you don't live this life, just this lofty sense of of self, that you don't live for self. You don't even know what that verbiage is. Uh, You were so connected with your Father that you never did life on your own, and everything you did was through prayer. Lord, may we as followers of you in our fallenness look to you and may your spirit and your grace strengthen us to do life through prayer. Even as we enter into 2021, Lord, may we do life through prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.